You know, one of the things we were talking about 30 years of evolution of the profession or almost 30 years of uh, evolution. Um, but one of the things that uh, we still see is that there is a huge amount of uh, successful breaches all the time. Um, and um, and uh, I think um, one can ask, so what, what are we doing as an industry? You know, are we successful? Um, and, uh, and what can we do um, better or different? And that's one of those uh, points of view that, is, that kept him once again interested in the profession. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. 20 Minute Leaders is a proud supporter of Make-A-Wish Israel and tech to peace and is in proud collaboration with Secret Chord Ventures, J Ventures, Riverside FM, Fusion VC, Birthright Excel, J Impact, Leap, Google for Startups, and Hippo, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Hello and welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. I'm so excited to be here today with Ophir Zilbiger, who heads BDO's global cybersecurity practice for BDO International, working with BDO firms and the cybersecurity leadership group to develop and grow BDO's cybersecurity practice around the world. He heads BDO Israel Cybersecurity Center, helping organizations to manage their cybersecurity risk and build their risk-based defense. His IT and cybersecurity experience spans over 25 years in which he worked with organizations of various industries, size and geography, with C-suite and board members, as well as technology, IT and cybersecurity leaders. Alfir Zilbiger, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? Thanks very much. I'm great, thanks. How are you? It's awesome uh, to be here with you, Ophir. A uh, few people have such a, an impressive background and a rigorous journey in a specific field and domain, especially one that has emerged and has, you know, transcended in such a meaningful way as a part of our, of our society, of our economics, of our politics, of our social norms. And this is, of course, the cybersecurity space, uh, which, is a, which is a fascinating one because of its evolution because of the challenges that it presents still today and some of the, the ways that it happens. And, and you've had you know, quite, a, quite a significant arm on, on, the, on the very hands-on piece of it, on the, on the advisory piece of it, on the high-level thinking, strategic thinking, but all the way down to the, to, to the ground and to the, really the technical details. And so uh, today, partner and head of BDO Cyber of Video Israel and global cyber leader at BDO and uh, really a pleasure for me to pick your brain in these 20 minutes, and I'm excited to learn. Uh, tell me first a little bit about your own journey from your perspective, and then I'd love to dive into the evolution of, of cyber from, from the way that you've perceived it. So um, um, I, I started my own journey um, right in, in the right timing, so to speak. Um, it was just before internet became commercial. Um, so right before we started facing these challenges that we're seeing today as huge challenges, but in the past, you know, they grew uh, slowly but surely. Um, and um, I've had the opportunity to, to really uh, be a part of uh, the people who built the internet um, as an infrastructure uh, and as a phenomena, I would say. Of course, uh, you know, not in a very significant role, but I've had the pleasure of, uh, of really experiencing things uh, firsthand uh, as they uh, matured, as they were developed or, or even invented. And that gave me um, an interesting perspective of this profession. I've been doing security since 97, 
Um, so um, hands-on, uh, I could see the um, sort of evolution that uh, that took place. Um, so I started as a technical person, um, and at a certain point in time, I joined uh, one of the big consulting firms, learned how to um, take the technical knowledge into a more business uh, language, uh, which requires a lot of in-depth understanding of risk management, which is a very yep. important foundation of our profession today. I'll get to that maybe a bit later. Um, and then um, I had the, the opportunity to develop uh, or to, to start a company in cyber uh, security. It was called Information Security in the past. And then uh, another company, uh, which led me to BDO, who acquired that company in 2016. So that's my own uh, journey. Um, I think um, uh, to start with, maybe um, we can um, touch this phenomenon of cybersecurity in Israel. I think, you know, as I work with clients and organizations around the world, everyone knows that cybersecurity is a sort of a phenomenon in Israel um, with a lot of innovation and, uh, you know, startup nation is not about cyber, but it is a part of that phenomenon. And I think um, when you look at the Israeli ecosystem, what's happening here is really uh, we see lots and lots of uh, cybersecurity related innovation coming out uh, because a lot of people are dealing with cybersecurity challenges, whether it's uh, uh, from a security or defense perspective uh, or from a, an offense perspective, uh, as they are part uh, of, uh, of the intelligence corps or the army itself. And that happens uh, in, in various countries around the world. Um, this um, um, this um, accelerated innovation development, which is highly influenced by, um, uh, by the military here in Israel, is um, hitting the doors of clients. If you can imagine, you know, the largest banks in Israel, for instance, they've been working with, with uh, startups um, that um, present very innovative uh, solutions very early on. Um, and because cyber is such a dynamic threat, um, clients are not afraid of using startup or even, you know, immature technology to, uh, to help them with some of those challenges. What's happening then is that the CISOs of these organizations are getting more and more mature in terms of uh, solutions that they're seeing out of the market and how they can implement, implement that, uh, those solutions. The regulators see that. Um, the consultants have to chase the expertise of the clients sometimes. And that creates a whole lot of a sort of self-feeding innovation circle um, that uh, everyone is involved with and everyone is influencing. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why the Israeli innovation ecosystem is working very well for, uh, for startups um, and also uh, for understanding you know, the main challenges. And that's one of the reasons why uh, when you speak with Israeli organizations, to some extent, you see a higher level of uh, maturity in information security or cybersecurity. Uh, in average, of course, there are many organizations around the world that have a lot of, uh, um, that have a high level of maturity. Um, but as, a, as an average, I think this ecosystem is quite unique. That's interesting. And so from, yeah, you're, you're tying in, you know, the whole, the, the way that the, the country is unfolding and a lot of the different factors that are, that are pushing into it. If you're looking at the way that cyber is, is formed uh, from a, you know, an evolution of a category perspective, do you consider it a healthy evolution? Do you consider it, you know, how, how do you perceive it now from the side looking back, sort of both from, the, from a knowledge perspective, a business perspective, a globalized perspective? How well did we do here? So, you know, the, the um, security started really... Uh, 
in the 80s. Um, it started uh, before the internet uh, became um, this, this um, a significant phenomena um, um, with, uh, with digital life all around us. Um, uh, we started out with very simple things like, uh, you know, making sure that people have a password to access the mainframe uh, or um, a set of permissions that are appropriate to certain uh, data sets. These, these challenges have been with us for a very long time. The internet uh, brought huge amounts of new challenges from technology perspective, and most of those were fairly new technologies that the organizations, even though the technology themselves, the technologies themselves, like TCPIP, for instance, have been there for quite a long time, organizations have never used them, uh, definitely not in a commercial sense. Universities had more experience, but uh, you know, the, the world start, started to adopt the internet in a very, very fast, um, accelerated motion. And that created huge amounts of challenges from a technical perspective. And those challenges were thrown at the IT people in the beginning. Um, and I was that one of those IT people with uh, wow. you know, network expertise and operating systems expertise. Uh, and all of a sudden you have uh, an internet gateway with a, with a router that connects you to the internet and everything is exposed. And then you need to start realizing how, you know, I remember the first time I was breached or my network was breached. I was a young system administrator um, and uh, it was um, around 1998. Um, and someone, uh, it was a very, very simple um, way that they, they breached us. It was uh, purely technical, by the way. It wasn't human-based. Um, and that led us to understanding that we needed a firewall. Uh, before the, we had a firewall, um, uh, we had a very simple mechanism of uh, trying to sort out which communication is allowed and which is not. A firewall is a tool that can do that uh, for a bigger scale organization um, with uh, the appropriate policy that is uh, compatible with a dynamic organization. Um, so in the beginning, really, the focus was very technical. There was no governance. There was no, um, we didn't use risk management. We didn't use any of the methods that we use today. It was uh, sporadic and dependent on technical people. And that was um, the case since around the internet uh, commer commercialization in 94, 95, and all the way to a, a very important point in time which led to um, the second wave of evolution of the profession. Um, that point in time is the collapse of Enron uh, in 2002, three. All that, uh, around that time, um, the, the, the collapse of Enron um, created uh, the need for new legislation, which was um, eventually called Sox, Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, which is still very apparent today in uh, many of the things that the organizations are doing, definitely in IT, but not only uh, in IT. Um, and Sarbanes-Oxley started a, fin um, a, a period of time of about 10 years in which uh, the main focus, or even I would say the only focus, was compliance. People were very, very... Um, uh, people were focused on being compliant to Sarbanes-Oxley, to SOX, SOX had very strong teeth in terms of, um, um, you know, how a regulator or a legislator can influence an organization because it uh, held um, with personal responsibility the CEO and the CFO if they don't meet the requirements. And that's why every organization was very busy with that. And, what, and that also led to um, a period of time where all of the vendors that created technology solutions for security sold those uh, solutions from a compliance perspective or from a SOX perspective. Now, during these 10 years between 2002, 3, 
And up until around 2012, 13, um, and maybe globally even longer, um, by 2015, by the time we started talking about cyber and not information security, um, people were involved or mostly uh, focused on, on being compliant. Now, the problem with compliance is that it doesn't have anything to do with effectiveness. It really has to do with, you know, checking the box. Do we have that document on the shelf? Uh, and it, it's less about whether we implemented the process effectively. Although SOX does that in many respects, but in security, because it's such a detailed uh, profession with so much technical data and influence, the people that uh, were, were dealing with SOX were mostly engaged in implementing or not actually implementing, but making sure that the controls, SOX controls exist. Um, but the people who actually did the day-to-day -day security were still the technical people and they didn't. And there was a very big disconnect between the compliance level that the organization was reflecting out, outbound and the day-to-day -day operation that the IT people did on their network. Uh, you know, um, opening up a firewall rule or um, uh, limiting a, a server uh, in terms of uh, functionality to make sure that it's more secure. All of that day-to-day -day technical uh, work was not really connected to uh, the level of compliance that the organizations were reflecting. This created a huge gap in, in security, in practical security. Now, the reason why we haven't seen this gap um, in the early years, you know, 2002, three, and then onwards until the end of that period, is because the threat levels were not really um, there yet. The, the threat actors that we see operating in the past 10 years since that uh, beginning of the cyber domain or cyber world and up until today, um, the threat level is so much higher um, and organizations are seeing real business impacts, which we haven't seen in the past uh, because the um, criminals were not ready yet or not mature, as mature. But those 10 years allowed the criminals to get a lot more maturity. Organizations were lagging in terms of implementing security. So if you ask me, the third level of, uh, or the third period of time in that evolution is uh, the, the, uh, the period of time where we talk about cyber is really about effectiveness and less about compliance. And um, there's also a very important point um, uh, to make here, which is, uh, if you remember those uh, intelligence corps or, or, or military people that um, uh, I was talking about before, when they got, uh, go out to the market, they bring some um, military thinking. Um, and the profession started with technical and compliance people. But when we started seeing critical mass of, of um, military thinkers, infused into cyber um, business around the world. And we're seeing that in Israel, but we're seeing that in the US and in the UK and other places as well. Um, this created a fusion of two different streams of development of the profession. One stream was focused on IT, business, risk, and compliance. And the other stream was really uh, involved with uh, uh, information warfare. Uh, it was about uh, how do we hack into terrorist organizations to understand what they want to do, what are the intentions, how do we collect intelligence. And then these military thinkers who were experts in offensive security because of those needs to collect intelligence, etc., um, had a very interesting and unique perspective on how to defend an organization. This infusion of these two uh, sort of... Um, uh, routes to, to go, um, the first uh, and the, the military um, uh, paradigm, um, created a new um, view or a new way of defending organizations. And one example that is quite practical 
uh, and simple to understand is, you know, if we, if we look at, uh, back at uh, the compliance landscape and uh, one of the standards that uh, are globally adopted in cybersecurity is ISO 27001, or in the past it was, it actually started as a British standard uh, with the number 7799 a long time ago. This standard didn't have the word intelligence in it at all because it wasn't part of the profession, you know, in terms of how we thought about it in the past. Today, cyber intelligence is a key element in any defense program. And intelligence is, is a military thing. Intelligence is something that the military doesn't do anything without, not acquisition, not, not training, and definitely not any kind of operation. So um, we're seeing this fusion between these two professions today at a very high level of maturity. And I'm actually uh, curious about the next phase of evolution that uh, we'll probably see sometime in the next few years. That was so cool. That was a really, really cool background. I took, I took a lot of notes myself. So thank you, Ophir, for that. I, uh, I, I'm coming from the cyber background and, uh, and, uh, and you've you opened up new avenues for me to consider as I look, as I reflect on what happened before I was in the background, right? You taught, you took me all the way back to Enron, legislations, SOGs, effectiveness, compliance to today, emerging challenges, um, and, and what's happening now. I want to leverage the last few minutes to get to know you a little bit better because obviously you've been thinking a lot about this space for a long time, and so you're 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 interested in it. You're you're living it. Tell me why. What what is it? Why why are you so interested in the cyberspace over the last thirty years? For me personally, it was um, um, it was based on um, first of all my passion to technology, which was always there. Um, I had a very natural connection to, um, let's say, how IT works for some reason. I don't know why. And then um, my biggest challenge um, throughout these uh, long years was to make to to create a way for me to talk about technology with top management. Who uh, usually, uh, if you look back, uh, especially, uh, did not have any internet background. You know, these older people that uh, were managing organizations 20 years ago when I was starting out my career, they didn't understand the internet, they didn't understand uh, the threats, uh, and we had to speak with a different language uh, with them in order to make sure that they both understand the threat and also are uh, um, can support us in the challenges. So one of the things that uh, I think kept me sort of interested in the profession is is this ability to uh, to speak with top management, to understand business challenges. Um, as a technical person, it took me a long time to, to connect to the business world properly and to understand how, you know, business looks like at the macro level from a CEO perspective, from a board perspective, all the way down to the CISO. Um, and I think one of the biggest recommendations I can give um, in terms of how to really connect to those business people is using risk language. Risk is sort of like a common denominator between different parts of an organization. And um, when you talk about risk, you actually talk about the business, you talk about what could go wrong in financial terms, or at least, at least in probability and qualitative um, impact terms, like high, medium, or low. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an, uh, a millions figure. Um, and that creates... Once again, a common denominator in terms of language between different parts of the organization, and you can start comparing the level of risk that the different parts of the organizations can be exposed to, 
And also, you can start comparing different kinds of risks and start prioritizing those based on the level of risk that the management sees at each area. You know, we talked about compliance, for instance. Uh, I see compliance as something that is a very uh, um, significant uh, risk for some organizations, definitely ones that can suffer a big fine if they're not compliant or even go out of business um, because they're not meeting some sort of uh, regulatory or other requirements. Um, but compliance is a very different risk from cybersecurity. Cyber is a risk that can lead to huge impact, financial impact or reputational impact. Usually compliance risk is uh, less impactful uh, from, from cyber risk. But in any case, those are two different risks that need to be managed separately. Um, I think um, another um, point of view here is, uh, if, uh, um, in, in terms of my interest with the profession, is really to um, help organizations uh, make sure that they build the right defenses um, and, uh, and, and be resilient as much as, as they can to, to a cyber breach. Um, and you know, one of the things we were talking about 30 years of evolution of the profession or almost 30 years of uh, evolution. Um, but one of the things that uh, we still see is that there is a huge amount of, uh, successful breaches all the time. Um, and, um, and, uh, I think, um, one can ask, so what, what are we doing as an industry? You know, are we successful? Um, and, uh, and what can we do? Um, better or different. And that's one of those uh, points of view that is that kept me once again interested in the profession. I am already inviting you to a whole episode just on that, on that topic. 20 minutes is not nearly enough. And uh, I have already a few pages of notes here. And, uh, and I really want to thank you, Ophir, for coming on. And, uh, and uh, it, it's so clear how, how meticulous you are and how rigorous you've been thinking about these things. And uh, the, the journey that you took me on is not just a journey of, you know, facts and figures, but it's a journey of deep understanding of the different figures in the market, the factors of how these different stakeholders are playing with and against each other, and then how evolutionarily we've grown to understand uh, the, the landscape and how different players are interacting. And, and, I, and it's uh, definitely a conversation that's going to leave me thinking more. So thank you again, Ophir, for, for coming on and being a part of this show. I look forward to sharing it. And I, and I already am looking forward to, to our next episode talking about challenges ahead. Thank you. So many, many thanks to you for inviting me. It was a great pleasure and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Ophir. Thank you.